Well, if you're here this morning, you know that I preached on the concept of spiritual gifts in the church. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit in the present age also came these special, you know, spiritual gifts given by Christ to all believers in the church through the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about natural gifts like singing, but they're described in scripture as being spiritual, useful for the building up of the church. And the purpose of these gifts is the maturity or the, the building up of the body of Christ. Every true believer has a gift and they're called to discern their gifts and serve others accordingly. It's a very important subject in scripture and very practical as well. One of God's main concerns with the church is that it grows up into the image of Christ. And this growth is not the responsibility of the elders and the pastors only, but of all members of the body. All have been gifted for this purpose. But like we learned this morning, or like I said at least, more and more Christians I find don't know about this. They haven't heard about the spiritual gifts. They've never been taught on spiritual gifts, at least not biblically. And so again, as we seek the edification of our own local church, as decided to preach an introductory message on spiritual gifts, I did that this morning, and we set out to answer seven questions about spiritual gifts to equip you for uh, the work of service. These questions included, what is a spiritual gift? What are the spiritual gifts? Who receives spiritual gifts? Who determines spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? And what is at stake with our spiritual gifts? And in short, we learn that spiritual gifts are divine enablements given by God to all believers. And Lord Jesus chooses through the Holy Spirit to give different gifts to various members of his body. But every gift is given for the same purpose, and that's the, the edification or the Christ-likeness of the church. If you're a believer, it means you have been given one of these spiritual gifts. It's up to you to discern it, to use it. So as to be a faithful steward of the grace of God. So we covered a lot of the, these introductory matters this morning. But there's one very important and practical question we didn't get to because of time. It was a shortened service this morning. It was the last of the seven questions. How do you discover your spiritual gift? So we're back tonight to give a, a compendium message and help answer this practical question. But since we have a, a whole second service to do this, we have a little more time, a little more breathing room. I also figured we'd do a little bit more to better answer question number two, which was, what are the spiritual gifts? If you're here this morning, I gave just the briefest of surveys or samplings of the spiritual gifts mentioned in scripture. For the sake of time, we, we could only mention a few. But if you do a more detailed study, you'll find that there are about 18 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. These can be divided into four groupings total. And I think many of you for whom this is new would benefit from just a broader survey of the gifts mentioned in the Bible. Just to get a better sense of, you know, what we're talking about here. What, what even are these gifts? Now, even now, we still can't go into great detail. Even if we just spent like three minutes on each of these gifts, these 18 gifts, that, that's going to take up pretty much the whole hour. We're going to do our best to just give you the, the quick essentials on the gifts mentioned in Scripture, give you a little description of each. Then we're going to come back at the end and answer that last question. How do we discern or discover our spiritual gifts? So that's kind of our game plan for this evening. Yes, I know we just started a new study on the Old Testament. We're already taking a a quick one-week break for that, but oh well, I think it it was fitting. So we're going to begin with a spiritual gifts survey. You can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and hopefully you saw a handout that went around. We'll talk about that shortly. 
But 1 Corinthians 12, like I said, all we can really do is a survey here, even with all this extra time. But I would still prefer to give you the picture of the spiritual gifts in breadth rather than depth, just because this is an introduction. There are dozens and dozens of verse references to go through that. We just don't have time to do so. And that's why I printed out a handout. So you at least have a reference guide of a lot. And these aren't even all the verses, but there are many more. We just have some verses listed that you can look up for your own further study if you choose to do so. But what we're going to do first is just read through some of the main passages that list some gifts. Just so you at least you get acquainted. So 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Paul says, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, and to another, faith by the same spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the effecting of miracles, to another, the prophecy, to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, from this passage, we already see several gifts mentioned, right? You've got wisdom, knowledge, faith. He adds healing, miracles, prophecy, the distinguishing of spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So, one of the main passages listing the spirits. Sounds like a lot. We'll, we'll mention them later. But at first, I just want to read through the lists. So, look down at verse 28. It gives another little list of gifts. He says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? So here you see many gifts repeated, but some new gifts in this list. You've got the gift of apostles, prophets, and teachers. These are spiritual gifts that double as spiritual offices. And God gave some men to be, uh, gifted some men to be apostles like Paul. They had other spiritual gifts as well. We also have listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of miracles, healings, helps, administrations, tongues, and interpretation. So already a list is forming, right? We'll talk about these shortly, but let's read a few more passages You can listen or turn quickly to Romans 12, and I'll read for you verses 6 through 8, where you see another similar list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6 through 8, Paul says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We're just reading lists. We're just, you know, getting you acquainted. So this is adding to our list some repeats, but you have prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and showing mercy. We can add a couple more real quick here. Ephesians 4.11, we read this morning. It says the Lord gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And that passage focuses on the spiritual gifts that double as spiritual offices. 
And then last but not least, you have 1 Peter 4.11, which was our main text from the morning. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. In that passage, like we learned this morning, it divides the spiritual gifts up as simply as possible in just two categories, speaking gifts, the serving gifts. Now, that's just the fastest of surveys. When you put those various lists together and you say the New Testament, you basically come away with 18 total different spiritual gifts that are mentioned. And these can be distilled down into four categories. You have those summarized on a paper in front of you. And so we're going to go through now this list of 18 gifts. And again, it's, it's, I still feel bad because we have to go so fast through this list, but at least give you a, a little intro to each one. And so you have a, a, some understanding of what these gifts are. Now, we can't go through the verses. I'm really just summarizing for the sake of time. If you want to learn more, read the verses yourselves. This list itself is derived from my seminary professor, Dr. Robert Thomas. He wrote a book called Understanding Spiritual Gifts. You can get, you can see me later. And if, if this kind of whets your appetite, I can give you plenty of resources to learn a lot more. But now we got to keep moving. So we're going to get into these gifts. Let's do a little survey here now of the 18 gifts. Starting with the first category, the revelatory gifts. Revelatory gifts. Some gifts, they're, they're revelatory in nature, meaning that they're through which God was revealing truth to the church. These gifts were used to help start and grow the church in a time where the New Testament didn't exist yet. The church was in need of new communication or new revelation, rather, because there was a new covenant. A lot of things were changing. In its infancy, these revelatory gifts filled that need until the New Testament was written. So here you have five, the gift of apostleship. Again, not everyone will, will list this as a spiritual gift per that Ephesians 4.11 text. Some believes that just refers to gifted men, not spiritual gifts. But nevertheless, you know, these roles like evangelists and apostles. And they are distinct enough to include with the spiritual gifts. And, you know, if you're going to label them something else, it's probably just semantics anyway. But apostles were those who participated in Christ's earthly ministry. They witnessed the physical resurrection and they're appointed by Jesus himself to act as his most direct representatives. Their leadership was over the entire church and they served to expand the boundaries of the church. And the gift of apostleship was accompanied by many confirmatory gifts. That's the second category. And those acted as like their credentials. It validated that they really were speaking on behalf of God. The apostles helped lay the foundation of the church. But this gift ended as there were no more eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And the task of leading the church passed on to the elder pastor overseer. Next, you have the gift of prophecy. Prophets didn't have quite the same level of authority as the apostles, but they did share in revealing divine revelation. Prophets were given special insights into the mysteries of God. Prophets often served more locally than the apostles. They exhorted local bodies. Like for example, Acts 13.1 mentions, it says there were at Antioch in the church there, prophets and teachers. Local churches had prophets and teachers to give new revelation and then to explain it. The gift of prophecy sometimes came with the ability to foresee or foretell future events. 
That's one factor that often distinguishes it from the gift of teaching or exhortation. And fulfilled prophecy would confirm the revelation given. But this gift was largely made obsolete as the church grew into maturity and God's special revelation, his new revelation was complete and written in the New Testament. The gift of prophecy was a form of direct revelation from God to individuals to instruct and guide the church in its infancy. But when God's written revelation was complete, it seems like the gift of teaching takes over in the New Testament, which is all about not receiving direct revelation, but rather just explaining what has already been revealed and and written down. Ephesians 2.20 mentions that Christ is the cornerstone of the church, but the apostles and prophets were essentially the foundation and laid the foundation on which the rest of the church is built. The third gift, and by the way, 1 Corinthians 14, among all those references, if you want to learn more about the gift of prophecy, just go study 1 Corinthians 14. Thirdly, the the gift of distinguishing of spirits. This seems to be a companion to the gift of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 12.10. God gave this gift to enable people to evaluate prophetic utterances in the early church, to authenticate their validity and their source. You have to think back to that time. This was necessary before there was written revelation. The church was relying on prophets to to know what to do and to know what's true in the new covenant. And those with this gift could discern whether a prophetic message came from the Holy Spirit or from some other spirit, human or demonic. The early church did not have a completed canon to cross-check truth and needed some special discernment to guard against false prophets, false teaching. And that seems to be where this spiritual gift comes in line. It is mentioned. And again, you can read the verse references yourself. Number four, the gift of wisdom. Now, the spiritual gift of wisdom, that's not just being really wise. You look at some of the verses mentioned, it's connected to the revelatory gift. It's not just knowing the book of Proverbs really well. You can be wise. That's not the spiritual gift of wisdom. This was used in the early church to unravel God's mysteries. Mysteries is a New Testament term used to refer to divine secrets not previously revealed. And we can piece together, it seems like the Spirit enlightened these men, or the minds of these people, enabling them to see things previously hidden, which they then revealed to the church. You see, the gift of wisdom and knowledge, and wisdom and prophecy, they're always lumped together. And these were revelatory gifts, where it's a time when revelation was being given and explained. God's mysteries in the new covenant were being uh, unraveled and and revealed. And that's where it seems this gift of wisdom came into play. And that really is tied together to the gift of knowledge, which likewise, it's not just being smart. It's not just knowing lots of things. It's not the spiritual gift of knowledge. This can be defined as follows. I'm going to quote Dr. Thomas's book. It is a special ability to grasp objective data that results from special revelation to systematize it and extend its implications to new situations, end quote. So in other words, this gifting enabled some to, to grasp what has been revealed in an inerrant inspired manner. So prophecy was all about direct revelation. You have a prophet in the church. There's no New Testament yet, but a prophet has a word from the Lord. Thus says the Lord. But all of God's revelation, in essence, can be interpreted and and sometimes needs to be interpreted. 
seems like the gift of knowledge was an inspired interpretation and an inspired application of revelation. Whether that revelation was oral or written, the gift of knowledge seems to be a supernatural enlightenment as to the inspired meaning of revelation and its proper application. That confuses you, just think like inspired interpretation, inspired application of, of what has been revealed. But this is It seems to be another revelatory gift. It's not just being smart. This was connected with these other revelatory gifts. They all kind of go together in a time when the church had no written revelation to sustain it throughout its entirety. And God was using apostles and prophets and these gifts to to guide and instruct the church. Now, the second category here, the confirmatory gifts go hand in hand with the revelatory gifts. They're companion gifts, you might say. These serve the purpose of validating revelation to prove that the revelation came from God. You might have heard of these referred to as the sign gifts, signs and wonders. The confirmatory gifts, they were like the visible credentials of the apostles and prophets. And their purpose, although they were amazing in themselves, was always to point to the message being given. See this in the few Old Testament examples in the New Testament as well. Think of the early church. A prophet gets up, thus says the Lord, here's instruction direct from the Lord. How do we know it's true? One manner, someone with maybe distinguishing spirits gift, but another manner was through a sign or a wonder that accompanied the revelation that would serve to validate. It's not just for, for, you know, for fun. These signs and wonders were meant to validate the spokesman as having come from God and his words as being from God. So that's kind of the nature of the confirmatory gifts. Let's go through them. There's five of these at least mentioned in the New Testament as well. You have the gift of faith. Now, you wouldn't normally think the gift of faith to be in this category, but as you study that the references in the New Testament, primarily 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, the, it, the gift of faith always comes with the other confirmatory gifts. And these are all ways of confirming revelation. Remember, God was giving revelation through wisdom, through knowledge, through apostleship, through prophecy, new revelation. And the gift of faith appears to be a a broad category under which the other confirmatory gifts fall. This gift can be defined as that special ability to believe God to the point that he would miraculously remove particular hindrances in the spread of the good news. It's not the same as having faith in Christ, the gift of faith, but it's a special gift given to enable men to to believe God would accomplish the impossible through them for the sake of the gospel. You might think of Paul in Acts 27, where they're about to be shipwrecked, but he shows a gift of faith and and believing, knowing, trusting God that not a single life would be lost despite that shipwreck and there are hundreds of people on board. And when that happened, that gift of faith that the fact that what he said came true and his, the boldness of that declaration served to, to witness and they all then listened to Paul, helped confirm him as a spokesman for God. You can't get the same with the gift of healing. The gift of healing is the supernatural ability to instantly heal sickness, not through medicinal means. And the purpose of this gift was not just to bring about good health. Because everyone who was healed eventually became sick again later on, eventually, and died. Rather, the purpose was to attract attention to the message being given. 
And such a drastic gift was needed because you think about the new revelation God was giving with the church. It was shocking to many. It was hard for people to accept. But miraculous healings validated the apostles and prophets as God's spokesmen. Just keep in mind here, the gift of healing is not the same thing as just praying for someone to be healed. And what if you pray for someone to be healed and they're healed? Amen. That's fantastic. We do that all the time. That's, just, that's not the gift of healing, though. That was the supernatural ability and enablement to instantly heal people of their illness. Now, the gift of the affecting of miracles. This basically covers other miracles, not including healings. But this is also an expression of the gift of faith. These miracles served the same purpose in validating men as God's spokesmen and confirming their message. Before the time when people could point to God's written revelation, miracles served as a way of authenticating spokesmen and their message. Again, you read the verses, but for example, Acts 13, 8 through 12, you know, Paul has this false teacher here and he rebukes him and then he strikes him with blindness and it works. The guy goes blind. But that event served to make the others around and the leaders there then listen to Paul. And they heeded his message. And and so it goes with the effecting of miracles. They're always intended to validate and confirm a spokesman as truly coming from God. So that you should listen to him. His revelation is actually from God. Fourth on this second category is the gift of tongues. the The gift of tongues is the ability to instantaneously speak in a foreign language, not previously learned before. And the case is unanimous in scripture that tongues refers to real, logical, known human languages. It's not talking about kind of a gibberish language or ecstatic utterances. This gift was first given at Pentecost where the apostles were all speaking in in several languages It led to the amazement of the crowd hearing their own dialects. And it served to have the people, well, listen to what they had to say after that. And so you see a couple purposes behind this gift. For one, it's a sign for unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says tongues is a sign for unbelievers. It shows them God's supernatural presence among the people of God. But as with the other confirmatory gifts... Tongues, likewise, validates God's messengers. It was very, you know, especially useful in the early church's ministry to the Gentiles. Additionally, tongues seems to be used in times in conjunction with prophecy. Prophecy, that's where God is giving new direct revelation to the early church through prophets. It seems oftentimes that that word from the Lord came also through tongues. So prophets and tongues were taking place together, and obviously it needed interpretation, which is next on the list. But tongues was a confirmatory gift in in being miraculous in nature, and that it would authenticate someone as, well, what they're saying is from God. But it had to be accompanied by the fifth gift on the list, if it's going to be profitable, and that's the gift of the interpretation of tongues. This is where a person could translate into one's language a foreign tongue being spoken by another person. But this, this, in this case, the, the interpreter doesn't know the language. 
That's why it's another confirmatory gift, a supernatural gift. It's not like the person already knew the language. It, it is just as supernatural as the gift of tongues. And this was, of course, a companion gift to tongues. Sometimes it appears that when God sent revelation by way of tongues in a different language, it's unprofitable if no one could understand the message. Therefore, God also provided a supernatural interpreter. And tongues and their interpretation sometimes provided new revelation, but mostly they were given to confirm revelation as having come from God. Again, why is God doing all this? If you, you look, take a step back, you look, look at all these gifts we've talked about so far. They're all seemingly confined to the early church period where God is, so much is changing. A, a radical shift from the old covenant Israel, theocratic Israel, to the new covenant church, Jews and Gentiles in one body. So much is changing and God is giving a, a bunch of new revelation. After 400 years of silence, he's opening the floodgates of new word, words for his people to live by, Right? But it's hard to swallow. It's drastically different. Like even just the fact of Jews and Gentiles in one body is mind-blowing to most Jews. But you have, you have many gifts that just give the revelation. But to, to authenticate this revelation is truly coming from God in, a, in an age where there are plenty of false prophets. Well, God gave a plethora of these authenticating sign gifts, confirmatory gifts, where... You know, you could look at the sign and, and now look at the spokesman and say, well, I guess he is from God. I should probably listen to what he's saying. And so it goes for all of these confirmatory gifts. Now, many of the revelatory and confirmatory gifts, we believe, are no longer in operation. These were necessary for the church in its infancy, in the time before God's written revelation was complete and finished. And God supported the church through these spiritual gifts in its formation and its foundation-laying period. The New Testament seems to make clear thereafter that God intended the church, after its infancy, to be guided and strengthened and sustained by written revelation, by that which has been written. And therefore, we we find that these gifts, they just cease being necessary, and and, in church history, they cease being given by God. Now, it's with this survey, it's way beyond our scope to, to get into the continuation of the sign gifts. In this lesson, not everyone believes that. Some people today, as you know, believe that these gifts are all fair game. We can't really get into that right now, but good news. I've already preached two messages on that very subject in great detail. You can find them on our website. If you want to learn more why we at this church believe these gifts, many of them are, are no longer in operation, go to our website, download two messages. They're titled, why we are not a charismatic church, part one, part two. And you get the, the much more detailed account of why we think these gifts are no longer in operation. But that's all we can say about that. We're only halfway. Let's get into the, the third category here, the speaking gifts. A third category of spiritual gifts, as you try and classify them, the speaking gifts. The spiritual gifts we've covered so far were for the infancy of the church, They helped lay the foundation that the church needed to survive. The rest of the gifts that we're going to mention were given for the ongoing and continual maturity of the church until Christ's return. And so you have next that the speaking gifts, and they relate to communicating God's revelation that came in that period to the church. You know, the, the revelatory gifts, the lasting fruit 
of the revelatory gifts is the New Testament, right? That God used apostles and prophets to write down some of this new revelation in the early church. And this is now what God has intended for the rest of the church to know for growth, for knowledge, for insight, and so forth. And so these speaking gifts, he now gives people in the church some speaking gifts to help minister this word to the body for its edification, for its growth. And so let's talk about some of the speaking gifts. You have first the gift of evangelism. Gift of evangelism, and that's the ability to persuade unbelievers to believe in Jesus. And of course, we know God is sovereign in salvation. But it's evident he chooses to gift some people with a greater skill in in sharing the gospel. Such that they have more success. The gift of evangelism can take many forms. Some might be gifted in, in personal evangelism. Others in public evangelism. Others might be gifted in, in planting churches, doing discipleship in a foreign country. Don't confuse evangelism as a gift with evangelism as a practice, though, because God calls all believers to evangelize, to witness. But it becomes clear that he, some are especially gifted in this area to uh, share the gospel. You have, for example, the exa- uh, Philip in Acts chapter 8 as a notable example. Next, the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is the ability to understand the truth. It's not a revelatory gift. You're understanding what's already been revealed and presenting that to others such that they will understand it as well. And teachers are skilled both in their knowledge of the truth and their ability to clearly communicate it. The content of this teaching is the written word of God. Teaching is essential to the growth of the church Evangelism grows the church's borders, but teaching grows the church's roots. Good doctrine is needed for the life of the church. And, well, good teachers are needed for good doctrine. And like I said this morning, you know, this gift is not the same as just being a good secular school teacher. A person may be an excellent teacher otherwise, but it may not translate into teaching the word. These are God-given enablements that don't always correlate to your natural gifts and abilities. Now, the next on the list, the gift of pastor teaching. This comes from Ephesians 4.11. Some don't make this distinction, but you look at Ephesians 4.11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. In the Greek, it's better to take that as a one-word office, not two. So it's not pastors and teachers, but really the, the pastor-teacher. And people with this gift or calling, they they really are those who combine a teaching ministry with a shepherding ministry. So you might just call this, you know, the the gift of pastoring. They have a pastoral concern for the church, which is broader than just a teacher. You know, the word pastor just means shepherd. The teacher is simply seeking to feed the sheep, whereas the the pastor teacher wants to feed them and shepherd them in, in every regard. And it seems elders have this gift as a requirement, but it's not restricted to elders only. Now, the gift of exhortation to finish this little list is the ability to persuade the will of believers. Whereas teaching is aimed at the mind, exhortation is aimed at the will. Exhortation is used when trying to correct someone's morals. You know, when Christians fall into sin, someone needs to exhort them. 
Sometimes overlapping with rebuking them, show them their error, turn them back. Or when Christians are simply weak in the faith, someone needs to nurse them to strength. And the gift of exhortation is useful in these situations, helping people just change, make godly choices. You see how this gift is complementary to the other teaching gifts. All teaching without exhortation or all exhortation without teaching would be unbalanced. Now, I'll say one more time for the sake of time, there's a lot of really good verses to explore here that we can't, but uh, hopefully you, you look at your list and you go through these. And you see a lot of the gift of exhortation in action are being talked about. It is an important gift that may be one of the, the ones that flies under the radar. But to finish up this list, we have to just keep marching. But we're at the last category, and it's the auxiliary gifts. As you know, the church is pictured as a body, Christ being the head. All believers are then the different body parts, but they're all needed. If some might seem to you more prominent than others, more important than others, but that, that's not true. And those with the speaking gifts get more limelight, but God values those with the auxiliary gifts just as much. And those with these auxiliary gifts are just as needed because they contribute to the, the successful operation and growth of the church. These gifts provide much-needed service to the church, without which just an assembly could not function. So let's go through these auxiliary gifts. You have the gift of helps. This is the special ability and drive to meet the needs of others and provide them relief. Such people have the grace to identify needs and meet them. You know, just as the Holy Spirit is called the helper, he works behind the scenes And so it goes with those with the gift of helps. In fact, the same word in the Greek is used to describe them. Their concern is not to be noticed, but simply to selflessly help the one in need or just help meet needs of the body. Now, the gift of showing mercy, it's somewhat similar to helps, but it's the special ability to help those who are hurting and suffering. Whereas helps seeks to minister more broadly to anyone and everyone, Those with the gift of mercy are especially gifted at at helping the sick, the suffering. They're able to show the love of Christ in a special way, help people in their hour of greatest need, like when someone loses a loved one, for example. You understand God requires all people to show mercy, but some in the church, they're powerfully gifted by God to minister to others when they're downtrodden in just a, a very profound way. Look at Acts 9.36. It says, Now in Joppa, there is a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Just gets called out as a mercy giver. Now you have, thirdly, the gift of giving in this list. The gift of giving is the special ability to invest time and money in others in an especially self-sacrificial way. And people with this gift, they're just extremely generous to others. And the great thing is this gift is not restricted to the rich. The Apostle Paul, he often commends the Macedonian churches and, and many of the members in the Macedonian churches for their overwhelming generosity. They, they had the gift of giving, but the thing is they were all poor. But even still, they, in their poverty, they still just couldn't help but give what they had. That's the gift of of giving. 
People with this gift create a warm atmosphere for the word to be delivered. And also those with greater wealth, they really do enable greater ministry to take place and they can free up others to use their gifts even full time. People with the gift of giving have driven overseas missions, the printing of Bibles, the building of colleges and seminaries, all to God's glory. You know, all Christians are called to give, but the pattern holds that God specially gifts some to just be super generous in, in giving. Then last but not least on the list is the gift of administration. This is the gift of, of governing or administration. This is the special ability and skill to organize and administer the, the workings of the church. You would think if you're going to be a deacon, you, you need this gift. People with this gift are those who take care of the logistical and administrative tasks of an assembly in order to free up others to use their gifts as well. Such people, that they're happy to do what others might call uh, menial tasks. They work behind the scenes and they help a local church function more efficiently, more effectively. And again, they, they greatly free up others to use their gifts in the body. So these are the spiritual gifts mentioned in scripture. And uh, although we can't take them any further now, all we could do is still a rather quick and cursory survey. Hopefully though, just you're giving a little understanding of the breadth of the gifts out there, what they are, what they kind of look like. And honestly, we believe there, there probably are more gifts than those mentioned in scripture. Because when Paul makes these lists, he often uses the plural, indicating that they're multicolored, multifaceted even. And, uh, but at the very least, I'll say if this piques your interest, you can come see me. I'd be happy to give you much more resources on any one of these gifts if you want to take one and, and dive a little deeper with it. But that, unfortunately, for the sake of time, is about all we can cover. That's a survey of the spiritual gifts. Like we learned this morning, like Paul really labors in 1 Corinthians 12, though, you know, they're all needed to really come to appreciate them all, even though if you can probably say, like, well, I know I'm not that one, some of you at least by, by the negative, as we get into the question now, how do you discover your spiritual gift? And we want to finish our time. Some of you at least can know, uh, I, I'm certainly not that. I hear that a lot of people say that with like teaching because they're mortified. Like, well, I know I can't have the gift of teaching because I'm deathly afraid of talking in public. And you're probably right. But I do really want to drive home that really none is better than the other. What if the whole gift, what if everyone in the church had the gift of teaching? We're all teachers you might say, well, isn't that fantastic? But where would the mercy be? Where would the generosity be? Where would the helps be? Where would the evangelism be? And we, we need all of the gifts working together in a, a perfect balance and harmony. We trust the Lord for that. He gives gifts as he wills, like we learned this morning. We just come to appreciate them all and see if you can find your role, your batting order, and just fill it and to the glory of God. That being said, though, it does bring us back to that question that spurred this, this, our time together that we didn't have time for in the morning as we did a little basic intro to the spiritual gifts. We had that last question, how do you then discover your spiritual gift? So we're going to finish our time now and, and answer this. It's an interesting question, though, because this is the one question that we had that is not directly answered in Scripture. The Bible never tells us directly how to discover spiritual gifts. You look at 1 Peter 4 and all those other passages. You keep reading and you find that the New Testament writers, they truly never 
directly address how you should go about finding your spiritual gift. The fact is clear. God has given every believer some spiritual gifts. They're not all the same, so it's different. But then we're never told how exactly to find out what we've been given. There's no 12-step plan in the Bible. There's no spiritual gift compatibility test. We're not told anything. But you have to realize the fact that this is not addressed in Scripture, that fact itself tells us something. The fact that God did not include any instructions on how to find your gift means he feels we did not need instruction on how to find your gift. That's because, and I, I believe this as well, that your spiritual gifting should be obvious. It should become rather obvious, maybe over a little bit of time, but it it should be obvious. It's not really a difficult thing to figure out. When God gives spiritual gifts, it's not like he's trying to hide it from people. It's not something that would be easily mistakable. Now, granted, you might be set back by, by ignorance or immaturity. Maybe you're younger in the faith. Maybe you've never even heard of the spiritual gifts. Maybe you're just trying to figure out the basics of Christianity You've not even thought thought that far ahead as what your gift might be. But, you know, once you get exposed to just some some basic teaching on the spiritual gifts, like we've done, once you see what the, the spiritual gifts start to look like in action, it should become pretty clear what your spiritual gift is. Still, though, I know you're not satisfied by that. So if you feel you need some help, we can put a few things together from what especially the Apostle Paul does say about the spiritual gifts. Again, he does not teach on this directly, but indirectly from everything he does say about the concept of spiritual gifts, we can infer a few things and build up some, some wisdom and some, some advice on how to discover your spiritual gifts. So we're going to do that now, just give you a little bit of some, we have to be careful here, but I believe we can safely infer a few ways to discover your spiritual gifts. First, Consider your desires. Consider your desires. When God gives spiritual gifts, it does not seem he gives them detached from your desires. Remember Philippians 12, or rather 2.13. There's no Philippians 12. And he calls us to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Talking about your sanctification. But then he says, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. We can trust in salvation, giving the Spirit, God both directs and changes our will. And that he's going to, by the Spirit, give us desires, new desires, new affections for him, and affections for service as well. And that he would uh, have our desires accord with our gifting. You know, for example, if you take pastor, teacher, elder as a spiritual gift, not just an office, but you know, they kind of overlap, we know that desire is a requirement in that gift, 1 Timothy 3.1. If anyone desires the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. You have to desire that work. That gifting won't come apart from that desire. And so you could say it stands to reason that the other spiritual gifts would ordinarily be accompanied by a strong desire to serve in that area. So if you want to discover your spiritual gift, when people ask me, I often just will ask them, what do you want to do? If it's all up to you, where do you want to serve? What moves you? What's your passion in ministry? Expose them to you know, the breadth of ministry and like, what's your passion? 
And I, I can trust that their gifting won't be too far removed from their passion. Now, I've failed to meet someone who's super gifted in teaching, for example, but has zero passion or desire to teach. Anyway, you can start off with the desires the Lord may have placed on your heart. And those desires might be brand new after salvation. But just start and think about what desires the Lord may have placed on your heart, you might say. Now, secondly, though, and I think this is more important. Secondly, consider your abilities. Consider your abilities. Just as God's gifting doesn't seem to be detached from your desires, it also does not seem to be detached from your abilities. I'm not talking, though, just your natural abilities. I'm talking about post-salvation. What of these spiritual abilities have emerged in your life? You know, these spiritual gifts, what are they? They're all just God-given abilities. That's what they are, right? God-given abilities. So what abilities do you have? Are you able to evangelize clearly, powerfully, and boldly? Most people aren't. So how could you not call that the gift of evangelism? Are you able to exhort people, speak right into their heart, and you see fruit where people change? Most people can't do that that well. That sounds like the gift of exhortation. Are you able to show hospitality and you excel at making people just feel like home wherever they are? Well, that sounds like the gift of hospitality to me. So, Consider your abilities. Follow your abilities. Again, these abilities may have emerged post-salvation. I can honestly say for myself, none of you knew me like in high school, but I had zero desire and zero ability to teach. And my parents, I think, are the only ones really, they're not believers, although my mom has made a profession. I'm thankful for that. But they knew me before salvation, and they knew I'm like the last person they would ever have thought would be a teacher or preacher. I was very shy, quiet, never talked at all in in public. It was really only after salvation that both the desire and the ability seemed to emerge. So consider where you truly excel in the service of the body. Now look, think about some of the main spiritual gifts we've talked about, like evangelism, teaching, exhortation, helps, showing mercy, giving. You look at that list though, and, and do you realize all of these things are required for all believers? You get that, right? All of these gifts, not talking about the sign gifts, but the ones for the ongoing nature of the body, when you look at them, you you find that they're actually all required for all believers. Whether you're gifted in these areas or not, God calls every believer to evangelize, to exhort, to show mercy, to give, and so on. And so you think about, though, what really distinguishes someone who gives Versus someone who has the gift of giving. We're all called to give. Not all have the gift of giving. So how would you determine between the two? Well, the difference is that the gifted person would have a a strong desire to give. And a strong ability to just be generous and sacrificial. Spiritual gifts, they're meant to be easily identified by your abilities in which you excel. That's kind of the point. Like Tabitha. Why did Paul call out Tabitha? with mercy because she clearly excelled in abounding with deeds of kindness and charity and just where her abilities were very clear so when people ask about their gifts i also counsel them just to you know, just start serving 
You might say, like, I've never taught before. I've never shown hospitality before. That doesn't matter. These spiritual gifts or these abilities, they're meant to emerge after salvation. And so just, just serve. Serve in all areas. It's not like these spiritual gifts are meant to pigeonhole you, by the way. We're like, oh, I'm a teacher. I can only teach. I can't do anything else now. Or I can only show mercy. They're not meant to limit you. But look, find all kinds of needs. Meet them. Serve in all different types of areas in the church. And just, well, see where you excel. See where your abilities emerge. You might be surprised to find abilities emerge that you never had before. You never thought of before. You find out where your desires intersect your abilities, then it should become just kind of obvious what gifting the Lord has given you. And then lastly, you can consider godly counsel. And if you're still struggling to identify your gifting, well, you can ask godly men and women in your life. And for myself, I think probably for the elders, for people I've counseled, it's really not hard when you're looking at someone else externally to help, help them identify their gifting. Usually other people can see things more clear than you can in your own life in this regard. Again, when I first became a Christian, I had no idea that the gift of teaching, but as time went on, my, my desires, my abilities took me in that direction. But still, I wanted more kind of verification. So I did some teaching and I had several elders and pastors just kind of evaluate me and, and listen to me. And, and that their counsel helped me identify my gifting even more. Now, perhaps you need to do the same. Often others can see into your life more clearly in this way. So if, if in doubt, seek godly counsel. We'll try and help you discern. All that being said, though, it's kind of a funny thing where it, it seems to be a big deal in Scripture, yet nothing is said about how to go about finding these gifts. But I think that really can only mean that they're not hard to find. It should not be you know, a rabbit's chase or, you know, going down a rabbit's hole to try and find them. It should be rather obvious, but I'll tell you what, if, if you're someone in the church where you never serve and you never involve, you just sit, you spectate, you leave, and you wonder like, well, I don't have a first inkling. Well, you've never even started to see where these abilities might emerge. And uh, that, that often is the case when people come and ask and, and want to learn about their spiritual gifts. They've just been spectators their whole Christian life. And it's no wonder they have no clue what their gifting might be. They've never, well, started to serve. So you check your desires, you start to serve, and you see what God-given abilities emerge that come from the Spirit. And well, there you go. It, it shouldn't be actually that complicated. Well, even with an extra hour, we're already over time, so we've got to wrap it up. Now, spiritual gifts, they are very important in the life of the church, but I hope this introduction just helps you, gives you a little more information, but also spurs you on to, to study more, to learn more, and to serve. And if anything, from this morning, this evening, if you're going to have one takeaway, it's just, just to start serving. To find a way, get involved, start serving in the body. And perhaps this is why the New Testament writers like Paul, they don't spend any time telling us how to find our gifts, they seem far more concerned that believers just find needs and meet them. Just find all sorts of needs and meet them. Just do that. And as you do so, you can trust that your gifting will become obvious to you over time. But you just, just worry yourself right now. Find needs. Find what are the opportunities for service in the church. And then just, just start meeting them. Whatever you do, just, just don't be inactive. Don't, don't do nothing. 
That's a surefire way to not only stunt your own growth, but also the growth of everyone else, as we've been learning. Instead, learn to serve. You will grow. The body will grow. You'll be blessed. God will be glorified. And let's be a church who serves. And I'm thankful, actually, that we are a church that serves and serves well. I'm encouraged. This is not like a rebuke message or anything. But hopefully it helps you and spurs you on to excel still more and even learn more and serve more with your spiritual gifts. All right, I hope that helps. Next week, I would say we're back to the Old Testament, but we're not. Next Sunday night, it's a special uh, praise night. It's a Christmas-themed praise night where we, we link up with Community Baptist Church in Slow. So next Sunday night, it's from 6 to 7. That's our Christmas-themed praise night. We'll be joining four other churches for a praise night. But after that, we'll come back to Exodus. So we'll see you then. Let me pray and close this. Lord God, we thank you for our time this evening, studying the spiritual gifts. You're wise, Lord. You know what you're doing in this plan of salvation, plan of reaching the world through the church. You sent Christ, the Savior. He ascended. The the disciples that followed, he then gifted. And he did so that the church would grow, both in breadth and in depth. That the word would go out through revelatory gifts, through confirmatory gifts. The church would spread, its borders would expand. But then it would grow up as well, grow in maturity, grow into Christ's image. And many of the gifts contribute to that. And here we are, Lord, 2,000 years later, in that, that same line of, of disciples from, from the early church. And these gifts are still given that we might ever still grow up in Christ's image. And pray from this morning, this evening, that we're just convicted. This is something we need to learn about. We need to be equipped with knowledge. But then we also need to serve, to do, to apply what we've heard. So move us, move all of us, Lord, to continue our learning and our study of scripture, but also just to get involved, to start serving and just be aware of needs in the body. Show us our gifting for those who are inquiring. Make it clear to them. Give them wisdom and discernment to see where they excel, what abilities you have given them, and then just let them loose, Lord, that they would serve passionately, that they would be blessed, this body would be blessed, and the world would see us and see something afoot, something supernatural going on a little body that's growing together in Christ-likeness. Let this be for our blessing, your glory. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.